This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everyone. I'm just going to forewarn you right now that this is going to be one of those conversations that you're going to probably have to go back and listen to more than once. And you might want to have you know, your notebook handy, jot down some notes, because I think you're going to take down quite a few nuggets that are going to be super helpful for you. I loved the conversation that I had with Bessie Graham. She's an award-winning entrepreneur who works with all kinds of businesses from grassroots to United Nations headquarters in Geneva and everything in between. And one of the things that I love about the work that Bessie does is she teaches people to quiet the noise of the demands and opinions of others and hear their own voice more clearly so that they can contribute from a place of authenticity. I mean, just take that in for a second. And we talked about how our strengths also have a shadow side. And we talked about the importance of context and discernment. We talked a lot about not just how important it is to know ourselves, but really then leveraging all that to be able to think and create space for thinking and that we have to slow down sometimes to speed up and the value of moving forward with clarity on an individual level and on an organizational level. And again, I think there's so much relevance on an individual level and an organizational level in this conversation. And given that this is the first episode of a brand new year, I think It's a way to even frame how we think about having a year where there is alignment, where there is clarity, and that fosters our ability to have the impact we want to have. Bessie, I am super excited to talk to you. I feel like we are probably kindred spirits. And so I want to just dive right in because one of the things that I know you're passionate about is starting with the fact that we have to learn to lead ourselves before we can lead other people. And I am so with you on that because I think that so often people want to look at how do I build the skills to be a better leader, but it really does start with ourselves. but that can look like so many different things. So can you share how you see working on ourselves? Like what do we need to be working on? And what are some of the essential things that we need to be mindful of to actually create environments and spaces where leaders feel safe? to do that work on themselves. So many layers to that, aren't there? Because as you said, there's nuance and there's distinction there because each of us are different. And so I think one of the pieces, and this probably taps into the last part of that question around how do we create those spaces or environments where leaders feel safe enough to actually go on that journey. And I think an important part of that is the recognition and acceptance that each of us are unique because there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to this. And anyone who comes in and says to you as a leader, there's three things and you should have this routine and you should do, well, you know, it depends, doesn't it? And it's all about figuring out and understanding yourself better, which is at the heart of that idea of saying before we can lead others, we have to lead ourselves. And I think that if we look at the tendencies that people who are typically seen as good leaders or a natural born leader, any of those statements, if you have heard those things since you were a kid, there are some tendencies that are generally in us. And one of those is this 
desire or tendency to move to action. So when we see a gap, when we see an opportunity or we see something needs to be done differently, we're the person who stands up and says, well, I'll do it. I'll step into that space. And that's one of those things that as we get older and just speaking for myself, let alone the different leaders that I've worked with, for myself, it's been that recognition that those aspects that are our strengths have a shadow side and there's a downside to always stepping in, putting your hand up, always being the person who moves to action. And that is around these components of saying, oh, have I stopped and thought about this? Have I examined myself? (laughs) Have I thought about the aspects that I might have missed here or the bias I might have? And so part of why this step is so important for us as leaders to be not only effective, but also to be able to sustain for a long period of time, the intensity and responsibility that comes with leadership. So I think that's a really important part of starting to come to terms with the fact that while you may have for decades even had that tendency to jump to action, to to want to see the movement and for things to be progressing, when people say things like slow down to speed up or that you need to get clarity, that's not just a nice little sticker on the back of your car or a little tweet or Instagram post. There's actually real wisdom and truth to that. And so taking the time to stop and figure out and deeply understand yourself as a leader will absolutely make you more effective but you need to make sure you do it in that way that, as you said, creates that safety and that environment that is uniquely shaped and supportive to you as an individual and the way that you show up in the world because we're all different. I love it. And so I think where I want to start with that is, first of all, I'm so glad you talked about this action bias because I think that, again, it can serve us well, but I think in today's disruptive world that just keeps becoming more and more disruptive, there almost is this frantic energy of like, we have to keep moving and we have to do something and we have to keep up. And that bias for action has us skip over things. I don't know if it's really him, but there's an Einstein quote that says something like, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I would spend 55 minutes thinking about it and five minutes in action. And I would say a couple of things. If we think about the slowing down and getting to know ourselves. I love that you talked about that our strengths all have a shadow side. And I was actually listening to a podcast recently with Simon Sinek, and he's not the first person who said this, but it's just the most recent that comes to mind. But talking about that when we talk about strengths and weaknesses or strengths and gaps, that it's all in context. Because there are times where those strengths serve us really well. And there's times where they become a liability, they become a shadow side. And so I think it's not just knowing ourselves and understanding like if I lean on a strength too much or I overuse a strength in the wrong context, it's actually not helpful. And there are times where I am not leaning on it enough or I am letting my gaps or my shadows or my weaknesses hijack me and they're preventing me from having the impact I want to have. We have to know ourselves enough to know when do I need to lean in? When do I need to hold back? And I think we also have to train ourselves and others to, it's not just no self, but can you also pay attention to environmental cues and other people and get your vantage point, not so me egocentric, because the context tells you 
how you need to show up in a way that is going to allow you to be effective and allow you to have the impact that you ultimately want to have. So as you said, there's the really important distinction of knowing yourself well enough, identifying those pieces of our strengths and then what's that shadow side. But I think that as leaders, one of the other pieces is to recognise that with a position of authority or a role where you're in that traditional sense of being a leader, there's also a different role that comes with that. And two of the things that come to mind, one is around the aspect that one of the most important assets, if you like, of what we bring as a leader is our ability to think, to conceptualise, to step into spaces and have a vision that others may not have and be able to communicate that clearly for them. So when you think about this idea of pausing or rest or slowing down, in doing that, you can get those ideas. You can have the energy, the clarity to step in and actually show up with the exact thing that you as the leader need to bring. You're not simply there just to, you know, clock in and out and push boxes along a conveyor belt. Your role is not in that transactional or tactical level. It's about what you bring and and the intellectual rigor of your thought process. So you need to be rested and in a clear headspace to actually bring that value. So I think that's an important component of just being honest about your role and what you need to bring and how you need to show up. So that means you should value this idea. And then the other piece is, again, something that I see leaders in general, myself included, often shying away from, which is that a really important aspect of leadership is that we have to be discerning. We have to make judgment calls. You're going to need to make those decisions. And again, that requires you to have clarity, to then know what it is and what's aligned and what isn't so that you can make good decisions. And you know, as we move into a new year, that's a really good time at the beginning of a year to sort of say, okay, how do I look back and examine some of those things of where are those strengths? Where have they played out as a shadow or a something that is unhelpful? Because sometimes it's the piece that's about, like you said, reading the room, understanding the context and going, this may have been an appropriate way to show up at this time or with this group of people but I need to discern that now is not the time to show up in that way. I love that. I feel I feel like discernment has been the word of the month for me in the conversations that I've been having because it's been the, right, you have to discern and it's not having the pendulum swing from one side to the other, that discernment we have to have all the time of like, when is, like, when is this me leaning in and being courageous and when is this me operating out of self-protection and or whatever right when is this me challenging people to step into their greatness and when is this me being pushy and being right right so discernment is so important i want to circle back to something you said because i think this is going to come out the beginning of a new year and I am not a fan of New Year's resolutions because it's so I'm going to do something but I am a fan of reflection and thoughtfulness and I love what you said If part of our role is to have that discernment and part of our role is to make good decisions, and we're not always going to make the best decisions, but we have to make decisions with the best of what we know at the time and things evolve. If we are going, 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 we're going to miss things. Literally, we're in the middle of redoing a website and I'm like, oops, sorry, I missed that. Oops. And I, when I look back, I look at simple mistakes that no matter how many times I looked at something, I didn't catch 
because I was going too fast to notice. And I've noticed that when I have space in my day, that I also have these bursts of clarity of ideas for a blog or for something I can do. And I quick capture them on my phone before they go away. And I started reconfiguring my calendar to look at, am I building in reflection time? Because if I don't build it in, what happens is people have access to my calendar and they go, oh, there's a free time and it gets gobbled up. And most of the leaders I work with talk about being in back to back to back to back meetings. And so I know I am trying to take all that lesson learned and look at how can I operate with a sense of calm and clarity for myself and for my teams and for the clients we support in the new year in a way that I haven't done in 2022. And in doing that, it's starting to look at my bandwidth is only so much. And so we either have to expand and grow and invest in more people, or we have to reconfigure the work that we're doing and reprioritize, or we have to pass on things for right now. And the other piece I think that plays into that, when you do the reflection and you look at, you know, is this working for me? Is it not? How much time is there in any given day or week that's allowing me not only to have that pause and space for reflection, but also to really importantly zoom out and be able to spot patterns and be able to go, oh, there's a connection here that I would have just glossed over if I'd run from that meeting to the next and not stopped to say, what am I seeing this week? What's the connection between that conversation and the conversation I had last Friday? That sort of pattern spotting is actually really important. Again, when we go to the role of the leader and the ability to conceptualize and see things that others can't see. Absolutely. Well, so that gets me into something that I think we need to talk about, right? Is so as we're recording this, like, you know, the world economy, I mean, we're in different ends of the globe, but the economies are shrinking, right? And you're hearing about various companies globally doing layoffs, those types of things. And what's so interesting to me is that in shrinking economies, many times, one of the first things to go is development, support for development, resources for development, time for development because of that action bias. When it feels counterintuitive, but it's almost like if there ever was a time when we need to kind of double down and help people develop to navigate through this, it is when things are shrinking because one of the things that you talk about that is that, you know, we can only add value when we are coming from a sharp mind. So what are some of the ways when organizations that might be challenged right now, that might be struggling right now, that might be under budgetary constraints, how can they reframe and think about that investing in the development of their people and their leaders is not an expense, it is an investment, and it's actually necessary perhaps now more than ever? I think it's interesting because a little bit like we talked about, there's that need to understand yourself first and lead yourself first before you lead others. If I'm looking at that question with a hat on as being the business owner who we're trying to encourage to think about this for their team or their executive. Yes, I would say and agree with all of the pieces that you've spoken about of the importance of this even more so now than in good times. But I would also say that it's not just an off-the-shelf solution. It's not just if you spend money on development for your staff, it will get a great outcome and that's a good use of resources in a time of constraint. Not necessarily, because again, just like you need to look at yourself first and do a whole bunch of work in order for any type of development 
or support or mentoring or coaching to be helpful, the same goes for your team. So I think what I don't want to encourage is just a blanket statement of spend more money on development for your team without kind of going into the aspects of looking at them as individuals. So I think that that's that aspect of discernment, judgment, making a decision, not just because someone says this is what every good leader is doing in 2023. It's about saying for our organization, when I look at my particular management team or when I look at this particular individual, what would that look like to get them from where they are to where they need to be? So really taking a more bespoke look at that. And again, like I said before, it's that zooming in and zooming out. So you want to make sure as you are spending money in these times that you're doing it in a way that actually makes sense for your business as well, but that has isn't just a selfish motivator of, oh, this will make us more profitable or this will bring in new clients, but that is connecting it back to that individual. It's the valuing of your team and saying, if actually my team are in a better place in terms of their well-being, if they are feeling calmer and able to show up better for our customers and for their teammates, then we will have reductions in training and recruitment costs. We will have better retention. We will have better outcomes with customers. So it's always this dance. I'm a fan of creating win-wins. So I don't want to promote something that's like, let's just add an expense and hope that it's a good one. You want to be looking at the context of how does this help improve the sustainability and financial resilience of the company in a difficult time? And as important, how does it really support this individual leader? Because they are a critical resource that you should be valuing for their own worth as well as their contributions to the company. There's one other thing that kind of comes to mind, which in some ways taps into the previous part of this conversation too, which is in any situation we find ourselves in, whether it's really constrained, difficult economic times or really good times, there are also the factors that play in terms of what chapter of my life am I in? What's the situation? Because when I think of the way you described that, the diary of many leaders where, you know, you're in the back-to-backs and the day, the formal day ends and you now go, okay, now I've got to do the 17 things that were on my list that I actually had to do today. It's important for us to admit, I think, that there are chapters where actually living like that might be energizing and fun. So I know that for me when I was younger and in a different stage of life, there were periods where I loved that. Like I loved then staying. I had this routine years ago where once a week I would stay in the office till three in the morning because I'm an introvert. I loved it when there was no one there and I could take over the whole office and all the whiteboards and think. And that was energizing for me to do that once a week and to have that space. I have no interest in doing that now and I would find that exhausting. So I think part of this respect and knowing of yourself is also looking at just because I liked something before or it worked for me before doesn't mean it's sustainable or appropriate for this chapter of my life. So that's that piece of there are external factors that we need to actually examine and understand about the environment we're working in and there are internal factors where we have to go, does this sit well with me now? Does this serve me? Can I maintain this without actually either feeling resentful or getting to a place of burnout? I'm so glad you talked about 
the context it seems to be the theme context and discernment keep keep coming up over and over and going back to you know the development you're right it's not just oh spend money and i also think we could have a whole separate conversation about training is not the same as development training is about building knowledge and skills which is important development is about just like it sounds it's helping us level up to another level of ourselves and we cannot develop without that self work development requires us to look at ourselves and to know ourselves and to be able to pause and all the things you were talking about. And you think about it, if you're investing in someone like th that's a value add that is almost intangible. And you think about in this economy of what, whatever term you want to use, quiet quitting, great resignation, turnover, tsunami. When people feel that they matter and they feel that they have a place to grow and they feel like they belong somewhere, that matters hugely. And the other thing you brought up that I think is critical, again, going that this is a new year is we do have to think about context and where people are in their life. And we need people to be able to be as whole as possible. I mean, you know, well-being matters. And I think that people, it's going to look different for everybody. And, and how are we creating environments where people feel like that is honored? Whatever the work is, whether people are going into an office or not, it's, are we creating an environment where they feel cared for? Are we creating an environment where they feel like it's not at such an action bias, rapid pace that they can't think. And it's looking at how can you as a team support one another to, to have some downtime, to have some breaks, because if we don't recharge that well, we operate frantically rather than calmly. And you talked about calm being super important. So talk a little bit more about why being able to create environments and operate from a space of calm is super important and actually almost becomes our superpower. Well, it creates those conditions that actually allow all those other pieces we've talked about to then be effective. So if we think about your distinction between development and training, for example, or if we think about the distinction between of what it actually means to be a mentor for someone, when those pieces actually require the person who is, say, on your team to actually be in a place where there is trust and rapport and they want the development or the mentor to interact with them, right? So you can't just say to someone, I'm going to be your mentor. But that's not how it works. <laughs> in the same way that, as you said, development is not just simply come and sit in on this two-hour training and tick the boxes that mean you have taken in that information and understood it. For it to be effective, those aspects that you spoke about of people having the psychological safety of feeling like this is an environment where it's okay to actually need to have some space or quietness or to be able to prioritise things that are important to me in my personal life, those conditions allow someone to then step into and take advantage of and really grow in those opportunities of development or mentoring. So I think that if we go back to the initial comment, the slow down to speed up piece, and I use that on purpose and I think because it creates a little bit of tension in people about the fact that they find it tricky to slow down, but I also think that there's some challenge on the other piece. So I use it because it helps them think, oh, but if I slow down, then I'll be able to speed up. It lures them in that there's like, oh, it's worth doing the slowdown because then I can speed up. But when we come to the really rich concepts that you're speaking about here, what we need to remember is that faster isn't necessarily better, right? So 
My hope for leaders is that when you go through that process of slowing down, of doing that reflection and becoming very intentional and intentional from a place of clarity, what will happen is you'll start to realize, okay, there's a difference between a quick decision and an aligned decision. And you may be able to currently in a frantic state of back-to-back meetings and being stretched, you might be able to make really quick decisions. So you might say, oh, no, Bessie, I'm really decisive. If someone comes in with a massive decision, I'll just yell across the room and make the decision immediately. I'm fine. Okay, you might be decisive, but do you then spend the next six months not sleeping because you just made a terrible decision and now you have to try to figure out how to fix it? Have you made a decision that when you get a little bit down the track, you think, oh, actually in terms of sequence, there was three really important things we should have done before we spent that money or hired that person and I didn't think about it. So there is really important things that come as benefits that aren't simply as basic or transactional as efficiency or speed to to decision. It's about saying, what this type of exploration does and seeing part of your contribution and and responsibility as a leader to do this process or practice of the slowing down, the pausing, the reflecting, it is that you then come to these important moments that will come up for all of us, good times, bad times. There are critical decisions that you are going to be the person who has to make. And you will now be able to make that decision in an informed way with that touchstone of clarity of knowing this is who we are as an organisation, this is what we stand for, this is how we behave and this is the vision that we have of where we're going and I can now assess this decision by saying does it align with who we are and who we want to be and is is it moving us in the direction of what we want to be actually achieving or where we want to be going as an organisation. Now that is a far more powerful position to be in as a leader than to simply be saying, I can make really quick decisions. I love how you describe that. And we we talk about these five rehumanizing principles. And the first principle is build a lighthouse. And build a lighthouse, we use that metaphor because what does a lighthouse do? It cuts through the fog. It gives clarity. It tells us where to go even when it's dark, stormy waters. And so we always talk about how critical it is that organizations really, truly get clear, like not purpose washing, not just words on a website, but they actually are really, really clear and have taken a step to articulate who are we, like what is our purpose? And in order for that to happen, that they've anchored themselves, like the base of the lighthouse is their core values where it's not, again, just words on a website, but we've actually translated them into behavioral anchors. These are the behaviors that we need to hold ourselves to, to be in alignment for that purpose to be be realized, for that light to shine bright. These are the behaviors that tell us we're out of alignment. And we have shared agreements of when our humanity gets the best of us and we get out of alignment, because we will, how do we want to get ourselves back in? And that becomes embedded into daily practices. And I would even say on an individual level, same thing. Do Are we clear about who we are and do we have our own behavioral guideposts so that when we go to make decisions, so I love that you talked about it's deciding with intention from that place of clarity. And I don't think we can have that if we have not done the work to either individually or collectively as an organization truly identify what our lighthouse is and then really keep coming back to that so that, yep. I mean, I was literally just having a conversation with a client today 
And they're like, hey, we have this leader I think we want you to coach. And they start talking about how they see so much potential in this person and they're knowledgeable and all these things. But this person consistently keeps showing up in a way that is the antithesis to their lighthouse. That's, that's a non-negotiable. And if you keep ignoring that this person shows up behaving contrary to your values, that isn't abiding by your purpose, that doesn't think that's necessary, I don't care how good they are at whatever fill in the blank, it's going to have a cost and it erodes. And what they're finding is the culture is struggling, that there's infighting, there's drama. And it's, and it comes back to like, you've done all this work to clarify your lighthouse. Now it comes the hard work of holding people accountable to living it. And what do you do when that doesn't happen? Because that's what demonstrates to your team and is actually the embodying of those values. As you said, it's not just a poster on a wall. It's saying, these are our values. This is how we behave. This is how we make decisions. And any time that you have been vocal and upfront about those things, and then a team sees you not actually making decisions in alignment with that, you undermine their trust in you. And so in fact, it's actually worse than if you'd never articulated those values in the first place. So that goes back to one of those pieces where we cannot underestimate as leaders how important it is for us to be actually able to make those difficult decisions decisively and then communicate to our team and say, I know that this person, she was an incredible salesperson. You know, She was hitting all the targets and carrying us in terms of making sure that we were bringing in the revenue we wanted, but there was no alignment and it didn't matter what conversations we had, that that just didn't happen. So we've had to let her go. Yeah, right. Yeah, we have these non-negotiables and it's, we're all human and can mess up, but is it, oops, I had a bad day, but then I go back and own it. Or is it, I am completely not showing up in alignment on a regular basis. And no matter what conversations or what chances I've been given, and do we give people too many chances? So I think this gets to You know, you start off by talking about, we have to know what makes us uniquely us. And I'm a firm believer of that. And if we're going to create environments of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, we have to create a space that honors people for their uniqueness and going back to context. So just because like, this is my unique quality, there are times where I like to say, like, don't let people dull your sparkle. But if I am like, sparkling too much, if you will, that it actually doesn't create a space for other people to also sparkle. I am overusing or misusing that. And so I think one of the things I know you talk about is like, we have to be able to make that transition or maybe balance both, if you will, of going from, yep, I know what it means to be uniquely me. I know when my strengths can become a shadow. I kind of know I can read different contextual situations to know when I need to hold back something a little bit more or level something up because I have to recognize that something's bigger than me, that it's me knowing myself and what makes me uniquely me allows me to contribute to something bigger than me. So it's not an egocentric thing. So how do organizations help kind of bridge that gap and foster that alignment? Because I think it's so critical. I do too. And it's hilarious because you've used the exact wording that when I'm walking people through this, I talk about that first step as being the uniquely you, which you use that. And then once we've done that, it moves into the bigger than you, which again, you use that framing of, because I think those two pieces together allow a much richer landing place of where you kind of get to. And if we go to some of the comments that you made earlier about the importance of people being able to show up in the fullness of who they are, none of us whether you have a formal leadership position or not, 
no one is one dimensional. It's not like, oh, I'm the organized one. Okay, but that's not the fullness of you. Like that's one particular persona that you take on or a role you tend to play in a group, but that's not who you are. So I think the marrying of those two pieces is really important. And it is that honoring, creating the space and allowing people, yourself and your team to understand, deeply understand themselves. But to say this isn't, that's not where it ends. It's not then this navel gazing exercise of all absorbed in myself. It's then saying great part of actually feeling a sense of fulfillment and meaning in life is also about that sense of contributing. What am I part of? And so that's where from a business perspective, part of what you need to make sure is that you've articulated a vision that is inspiring enough and that's connected to what people are wanting for themselves. So this is that now we draw together the individuals and the organisation and we respect the fact that it's not simply laying out here are the goals or here's the vision of what we want to achieve as an organisation. It's then from a coaching or management perspective, it's sitting with people and saying, how do your personal desires and your vision for your life connect into that? Like how can we as an organisation help you step more fully into the brilliance of you? And when we make those connections more clearly for people, we've created a win-win. So we have people who are now motivated to show up Yes, partly because they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They want to be part of a team that's going after these big goals. But also because it's been made explicit and it's been honoured and respected that it's important that they achieve their personal goals as well. And so I always find I'm a fan of paradox of connecting things that seem like contradictions and making sure that the lens we bring as a leader is not to just look at things as black and white. Oh, well, now we're doing a development piece, so that's about the individual. Now we're doing a strategy session and this is about the business. Okay, but those things don't have to be mutually exclusive or separate boxes. Next step, so yes, we have to do those activities. Now let's connect them and let's make the personal connected to the organisation and not in ways that are just about extracting value from your employees, but in ways that are actually saying there should be a win for you when there's a win for the business. Like, what does that look like? Those kinds of conversations, when we think about the positions we want to be in as either the business owners or leaders ourselves, but also then the broader components of the situation, the economic times we find ourselves in, we want to have a business where you can feel that there is some stability, that your team are here and committed and want to be working with you and that you're collectively working towards those common goals and that it's in everyone's interests that you achieve those. So it's not simply about being a nice place to work, but it's equally not just about saying, how do we be overly protective? save as much money as we can, cut expenses and just try to maintain that, you know, can we survive this as a business? It's being more human about what that can look like. Music to my ears, being more human. And with everything you're sharing, we always talk about that we have to recognize the inextricable interconnectedness of the health and well-being of individuals and the health and well-being of an organization, right? You can't have one without the other. And so we do have to look at that synergy. And so 
I, I love everything you're saying. And so in the spirit of knowing yourself authentically and kind of having our uniqueness yet our commonality, one of the things that I've learned in the work that I do is that we are messy as human beings. I'm passionate about normalizing that messiness because when we're in that space of being hijacked or having our shadows kind of take over, a lot of times we can go into this pit and feel like we're the only one. And so I want to ask you, Bessie, something I ask all my guests, which is what is a self-limiting story that you tell yourself still sometimes? And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life and have the impact you want to have? What's well, interesting because for me, it does connect back to some of these aspects around understanding our core values. So one of the pieces, again, when people are just stepping into this, it's enough to sort of articulate their personal core values or their organization's core values. Because I've been working in this space for a long time, I've also then done what are the core values of my family, so with my partner and our kids, and this connects to the aspect of the self-limiting or the stories we tell. I've been really clear on what the core values were of my family growing up, so my family of origin, because what I have discovered as I've got older is many of the shadows that come up in me and the things where I go, oh, where did that come from? Like, I, that's not who I want to be. They are overhangs of my tendency to take things too far that were core values in my family growing up. So for me, the answer to your question is around... When I grew up, two of the core values that were in our family, one was around work ethic and one was around independence, and they are big shadows for me. And so I have these self-limiting stories around those which are very definite statements I make around myself as saying I'm very responsible or I'm a hard worker. If something needs to happen, I automatically take it on as there's almost this assumption that I've got work ethic, that's a value. I'm independent. I don't need other people to help me. And so those stories that are deeply connected to my family of origin and the core value of what was just modelled to me are both shadows, ways I do not want to show up, but I have strong patterns there of stories I've told myself for many decades that come up. And when they do, firstly for me it's that aspect of because I'm aware of them so I see them quicker and I'm like, ooh, I know what that is. You know, you can't have that. The first piece is that I spot them much quicker now. It does still happen more than I would like to admit, but I spot it and I know what it is and I know I don't want to behave like that. I don't want to be showing up like that. The next two pieces for me of, of what I do to try to move beyond it, one is that because I'm conscious of it, I'm always, I love reading. I'm very curious. So I'm finding resources or ideas or things that I can come back to when I find I've fallen into that shadow. So ideas like really acknowledging that I've always succeeded by working harder than other people, but saying, no, when I find myself falling into that, I come back to this idea of how could I work smarter here, not harder? I, I don't have to win by working harder than everyone else. That is not the gold medal goes to exhausted woman who can now not function for six months because she worked harder than everyone else, right? So I come back to like mantras or ideas like that. How could I work smarter, not harder? I go to books like Who Not How. So I think, okay, rather than go, how do I do this? 
I could think, who's best placed to do this? So it's some of those reframes. It's the ideas that help me shift. And then the last piece that I use is I very intentionally have mentors, coaches, both that are paid and that are in just relational settings that I trust who call me out on things. So I have some very specific people who when I start to talk about something, so I had this happen a few weeks ago actually with someone who I've known for about 15 years and I was making these comments about client interaction of, well, this person expects this of me and it's taken me four times longer than I actually got paid for. And like, so I was complaining and I was going through these bits of I worked hard, like it was me in my shadow. And this person said to me, what was the power dynamic going on there, Bessie? Because that wasn't in your contract. You're saying you had to do four times more work. You didn't have to. You chose to do that. What was going on? Why did you do that? He called me out on it. And so it's this putting people around me who also see me when I go into those shadows and who know me well enough and I respect enough that I go, oh, yeah, you're right. I love that so much because we are not meant to go this alone. I mean, we are social species meant to be in connection with other. And I don't care how enlightened we are and how much work we've done on ourselves, we will get in our own way. And so what I love about everything you just shared, and so thank you for the richness of that is one, our 10-year-old self hijacks us still, whether we realize it or not, but the more aware you are, yep, you catch it sooner, but guess what? Still going to happen. So I so appreciate that. And what I also love about what you shared is that it's not just about us knowing ourselves and being able to catch ourselves quicker. It's having people around us like you have that we trust that when we don't realize our shadows have overtaken us, right? When it's a gap for us, when we can't see it, I am so thankful of the people in my life who will call me on my crap. Everyone listening, like, you know, know yourself, but then it does, you have to share it with other people and create a support system in a loving but accountable way. It's kind of like, you know, you don't know if you have broccoli between your teeth unless you have a mirror or someone tells you, right? <laughs> like, how it goes. So love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay. Well, I could talk to you forever, but I want to move on to quick questions if you're game. Yeah. Okay. So fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Knowing what makes you happy and what you want, not doing the automatic of what the world tells you. Bam. Yes. I love that. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Listen to myself because sometimes actually it's not right to show up in the way the world's asking you to. Yeah. Sometimes we have to take a break, right? Take a pause. I love that. I love that. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? I think when people have only seen me professionally or in public, they're always surprised when I say I'm a deep introvert because most people still mistake being an introvert with being shy and I'm not at all shy, but I get my energy from being by myself. Yeah, I think that's important because I always talk about this with groups. It's about where you get your energy and also how you process. Love that. What's your favorite go-to movie? Well, given that we're sort of in the Christmas New Year period, the answer in this household is The Grinch. I could not tell you how many times I've, I can quote the whole movie. <laughs> I love that. You know, when they did like the live action version, my son used to be so scared of the tube that would suck up all the presents. He would like have to run out of the room and he'd have nightmares about a tube sucking up like the house. Anyways, <laughs> he's older now. He's past it, but that's funny. <laughs> all right. What's your go-to song? 
I am someone who that really depends what mood I'm in. So at the moment, it would be a few of the Taylor Swift songs on her, her new album. I've been obsessed with that. That's awesome. Okay. What's something you can't live without? Tea. I'm a big, always constant pot of tea on the go. Do you have a flavor that is like? Yes, it's called Melbourne Breakfast. I live in Melbourne, so that's appropriate. That's my favorite. Can't live without that. I like it. All right. What is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Quietness in the morning. So I always wake up way before everyone else in the house. So that routine is really important for me. Just that. No noise, just me. And finally, what are you grateful for right now? Right now, I am very grateful for the fact that the decisions I've made over the last 10 to 15 years have meant that I'm in a place in my life where I can actually take the time and space I need to choose which clients I work with, what projects I have, how much time I have off over the school holidays with my kids. So that I'm very conscious of how thankful and grateful I am to be in the position I am. So Bessie, in closing, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? So for me, it really is this idea around pausing. And you used the example before the Einstein version of the, if I had a problem, I'd think about it for 55 minutes. The other version of that story is the sharpening of the axe. If you had to cut a tree down and you had an hour, sharpen the axe for 45 minutes, then cut it down. So for me, I would say it is about the sharpening the axe is about your mind. And the only way to get to that clarity is about creating that space, pausing and then very intentionally reflecting on and coming to those intentional spaces of, of clarity around who you are, what's important to you, what your values are, that you are grounded in that and have that as a touchstone to come back to. And then the clarity around the vision of where are you going? What do you want to be part of in the world? So that would be the one thing is just pause and sharpen that axe. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and, of course, hit that follow button.